dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. When it comes to learning how to lead, no one can teach us better than Christ. And for Christians who are trying to lead their world, Christ is the ultimate and best reference point. So how did he do it? When he had his disciples to form in order to make them the leaders that he wanted them to be, how did he approach it? In this first of a 10-part series, we try to answer those questions and let Jesus speak and form us as leaders today. Christian leadership is the way of every disciple, then and now. You know, at the St. John Leadership Network, we make a big deal about forming leaders. We, we try to say that every Christian is called to be a saint, and every saint is a leader, and therefore every Christian is called to be a leader. Uh, so one of the things that we do that I think is, is, is a call from the Holy Spirit today is to help you discover that the pathway of your leadership is actually the pathway of your spirituality. And that allows us to channel all of the wisdom and the strengths of our sacramental life, of our prayer life, of all the wisdom of the spirituality of the church into the same pathway that our practical life takes every day. If I know that I'm called to lead at work and I'm called to create new plans and I'm called to roll out a project or, or that I'm called to run a company or found a company, or if I'm called to every day be at home uh, with the family and raising these kids with all the challenges that that represents, well, then that's where I need Jesus the most. And I don't think that Jesus wants our spirituality to stay in a corner, stay in the church, or stay in a Bible where we feel good. I think he wants us to realize that the challenge in front of us of applying ourselves for his mission is precisely where he wants our spirituality to come to our help. And when Christians do this, they discover the depths of what their faith really means. They, they, they plumb those depths, right? So a, a saint is somebody who has learned to apply Christ to his call and not separate the values of Jesus and the power of, of our faith from the daily call of the daily grind that they're in. Be that business, be that in their marriage, be that in their family life, be that in parenting, wherever that might be. Christian leadership means applying our Christianity to the, trans, the transformations, the changes, the leadership influence that we're called to extend in this world, right? And so you can think of it as there's four basic big areas for that, right? There's your leadership of a husband for his wife, the leadership of mom and dad or single parents over their children, parenting, the leadership that a worker exerts in his workplace or her workplace, and then finally, the leadership that we exert as Christians in the culture at large. Just four, those four domains of leadership are all the places where we're called to bring Jesus. Bring Jesus in the arts. Bring Jesus in education. Bring Jesus into politics. Bring Jesus into the workplace. Bring Jesus into our management. Bring Jesus into our ideas, our aspirations, our dreams, our hope. To bring Jesus into everything that is authentically human. 
so that everything that is authentically human can become his instrument for his work, his love, his saving mission in our world. This is what Christianity is. And this is what I want to help you to do. I just don't want you to take your eyes off of the concrete nature of your mission. And in so doing, I'm actually in good company because this is what our Lord trained his apostles to do. His, his calling for the apostles and the training he gave to his apostles, it was a training to make them leaders. And so even though they would need a whole variety of skills and, and he would give them chance to practice in a sense with some of those and he would give them instruction in some of those. And we're going to talk about that. But his training really focused on their heart. He spent three years with these men leading them into an openness of spirit that would then drive them into all kinds of situations, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of areas where they'd have to exert their leadership, and they found new ways to do it. But it came from this formation of the heart. And I think that that's so important for us because being a Christian leader means much more than playing a functionary role right? It's not like I'm going to suddenly learn all of the ways to parent. And if I just then do that, I'll please God. Or if I had all of the knowledge of free property and personalism and respect for the worker, that then I'll just put those into practice and God will do the rest. Well, it's, it is that, but then again, it's not because we have to stay focused on the actual work that we're supposed to accomplish. That's true. And we have to be attentive to the actual needs of the circumstances that we're in. In other words, if God's made us a manager of a team on, on a business level, well, we have to manage that team. We have to run our meetings correctly. We have to have our PowerPoints, you know, done well. We have to, you know, be attentive to each one's, you know, dynamics and each one's gifts, etc. Okay, that's fine. But that's not the end goal. One of the most wonderful things about being a Christian leader is that we reach an ultimate goal, which is God's work in this world, God's power extended in this world, God's influence given to this world, which means, of course, the salvation of the world. And we reach that through the accomplishment of the intermediate goal which is to run our meetings correctly, to be ethical in our business leadership, to create businesses that create harmony and economy for the world and that make goods and services that lift up everyone in their genuine needs. But that's an intermediary goal. And we don't want to just stop there as some sort of functionary saying, well, that's all God's calling me to do. No, God wants to work through that in an even more marvelous way to work his great plan and design of saving the world through us. And so Christian leadership has to take both of those into account. And now what I think is amazing is that's exactly what the apostles had to do. Jesus had to teach them how to teach, how to preach, how to heal, how to withstand withering storms of criticism. And he had to teach them how to expand the kingdom effectively. What was the strategies to use? How do you enter into a town? How do you get the people to listen? When do you perform miracles? When don't you perform miracles? And so, and so forth. He gave them a training in the real practical nature of being an evangelizer. And yet at the same time, that wasn't the real focus of what he was doing. As he taught them these things and showed them these things, he was after a formation of their heart that would allow them to adapt, to change, to do things in the way that the circumstances of their life actually would require them to perform. And so the Lord does in our own lives. The fact is he wants you as lay people to meet the world's needs and to meet them in his name, laying bricks, doing law, 
uh, fixing eyes as eye doctors, uh, helping change diapers for kids, building bridges and libraries and all of the things that make up the practicalities of our life. And so he wants us to attain those skills, to hone those skills, to use those skills in his name. And yet at the same time, he wants us to achieve something even deeper thereby. Namely, that the way that we do it, proclaim the presence of Jesus. And that the associations we make while doing it, open the door for us to give reason for our faith and reason for why we're doing what we're doing. That we accomplish, in other words, the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven through the building up of the kingdom of earth. Now, is this easy? No. But was it easy for the apostles? No. They had to work with their own hands to pay their bills. And as they worked with their own hands to pay their bills, they administered the word of God. They found a way to do this evangelization that becomes a pattern for you in your lay lives. And that, that same pattern was given to them by Jesus himself. You focus the deep things of the heart on the small things of this world so as to bring the power of the kingdom into the affairs of our secular society. And that's the job, the vocation, the privilege that you have as his lay faithful. Are you a young adult between the ages of 23 and 35 and wondering what God is calling you to do next? Do you have a desire or vision that you just can't seem to complete? Then come to the Rise Above Retreat, March 19th through March 25th at the St. John Institute in Denver, Colorado. For more information, visit www.daregreatthings.org slash riseabove. So we're trying to look at how our Lord formed his disciples, how he formed his apostles, right? To be these evangelizers in the world. Because if we remember that every Christian is called to be a saint and every saint is a leader, so every Christian is called to be a leader. So that would mean that therefore the saints, like the apostles, were given by Christ an in-depth formation in Christian leadership. I mean, so that's a little bit reductive. I understand. I don't want to reduce the mystery into this kind of term, right? But I, I want to pull out of the mystery of Jesus's working and formation of the apostles lessons that you can take into your leadership in the world, okay? So I'm not trying to say that everything that Jesus did was fo focused on leadership. No, not at all. But you can, in the ocean of the power that Jesus deployed in training his apostles, find valuable lessons that help us understand how he deals with us today. That is with those of us who are trying to lead this world in his name. Well, when you go to the very beginning, you find that every apostle is called by Jesus in a unique way. And that call is really something that's at the beginning of their life as an apostle, but that never leaves them. It's equivalent with them being given a name by the shepherd. I know my sheep and I call them by name, he says, and they follow me. Well, the name is so important. It's so important that he gives Peter a change of name, for example, as he is called deepens. And Jesus, at one point you were called Simon and now you shall be called Peter right? And, or the, the, the name that he gives as he lists off the names of the 12 apostles, which I'm always touched by in the mass, the canon of the mass, Eucharistic prayer number one, it actually lists all of their names. And to see mother church, not just saying the 12 apostles in a group, but calling each one by name 
because each one has a unique identity that's in Christ and their identity can't be replaced by anyone else. So when Jesus calls each one of them by name, he calls each one of us by name. He's actually entering into an intimacy of identity, saying that I know you and I'm asking you to know me, Jesus. I will reveal my name to you and I want you to reveal my name to the nations, but I want you to do it in your unique way. Right? So I, knowing you by knowing your name, I know you from the inside. I formed you individually and irreplaceably, and I will never take back the gift that I'm giving the world when I give the world you. Right? So it, it, it's such a profound thought that if Christ could enter into that zone in each one of us, we would become his most valiant servants. There'd be nothing that could hold us back because the deepest part of us has been summoned. When Christ calls his sheep by name, he calls them into love and he calls them out of love. And love shakes the earth. Love motivates everything that we do. The foundational motivation for every purpose, every intent, every project of my life flows out of this love that I have. To have your love claimed by Christ makes everything that you do a gift back to him. My song that I sing, I sing to the one who has touched the deepest parts of my heart. And that might be for many children, it might be for many wives, but for a Christian, it has to be Jesus. He says this, whoever loves mother or father or sister or brother or children more than me is not worthy of me. And he called the apostles to give up lands and wives and their lives in the end for his sake. This is a really challenging thing. We could be like Simon Peter that says, well, Lord, what will we get? We who left everything to follow you. And Jesus responds with the reward that he will grant them. And it's a reward that speaks of the special intimacy that they will know with God for all eternity. And of course, it's worth it. He says it's almost like someone who finds a, a pearl buried in a field and then goes out and sells all that he has in order to buy that field so that he can have the pearl of great price. I mean, knowing Jesus is something that is deeper than all of the wisdom of the world. And the one who has Jesus in their heart has the, the, the end goal of all human endeavors and all human riches and all human life. They have in fact, found the precious pearl. And that precious pearl comes looking for us in the Savior Jesus, the person Jesus, who reaches out through his church's preaching and in the sacraments and in the fellowship of believers and in his written word to speak to us and to call us by name. But the, the call is the foundation. And when we go back and you look at the way the apostles were called, I mean, you go and look at Peter and James and John and Andrew and as they were on their boats and the Lord looks at them and says, follow me, right? And they leave behind their nets and they leave behind their father and they follow him, right? They, they, there's a, a primacy that they have to demonstrate. And it's very hard for a lot of us to do that because that primacy speaks to us of the need for faith. But if you go back, they didn't have any more guarantee, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, than we do. And in fact, their faith may have had to be even more pure than ours because they couldn't rely upon 2,000 years of history 
of miracles and witnesses and incredible feats done by Christians for Jesus. They had to rely upon the Holy Spirit that was given to them at that moment to believe and to trust in the voice that called their names, the voice that spoke to their hearts and that gave them this link of intimacy, this bond of friendship between them and Christ. My friends, Christianity, our Christian discipleship is not rooted in the wisdom or rationale of the world. And it's not rooted in the guarantees that we'll get of happiness in this world if only we follow Jesus. It's got to be rooted in love. A love affair between us and Christ that is so powerful that it motivates us and impels us. Like St. Paul would say, the, the love of Christ drives us forward. Right? The love of Christ. It's the only thing that will last in the face of persecution, in the face of torture, that all of the apostles would undergo for the love of Christ and that they underwent. And so many of us are terrified of losing anything for our faith. So terrified that we'd rather throw our faith aside than bear bold witness to Jesus in the world. Well, this is because, quite simply, we lack that love. And the challenge of the persecution it allows us to discover his love for us, which is greater than anything in the world and that can overcome all fears and all anxieties and all trepidations and all that the world could take away from us, Jesus can give us in abundance. And that call, therefore, is to put our stakes, the stakes of our life, completely into the heart of Jesus, to surrender to him, to say that all that I do, I do for the greatest of goods which is that one who knows me, who has called me from the inside, and to whom I yield joyfully. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. When we look at Christian discipleship, we recognize that at the basis of everything is a call. A call from one person to another, namely from the Son of God to us as disciples, right? That call is a, a, a mystery of love that each one of us knows in a very personal way. It's as real and as deep as our identity. And I actually would, would like to propose for some of you who are wondering, gosh, I'd never felt that call. Well, you don't have to necessarily feel it. But the more that you know who you are in your unique giftedness, the more that you realize the depth of your purpose and how wonderful you are, the more you get in tune with the creator who made you that way and Christ the Redeemer who overcomes every obstacle in the way for that true identity to deploy all of its strength. By learning how wonderful I am made and the gift of Christ's redemption in my soul, I come to know his unique love for me, my God's relationship with me. And the very foundation of all of the disciples' work as disciples was flowing from the knowledge that they had of Jesus' love for them individually, the wonderful giftedness that each one of them was and is in Christ. It means that really concretely Jesus became the focal point and the reference point for all of their actions. Just as in marriage, 
A, a man pledges to a woman and a woman pledges to a man the exclusive gift of themselves. And, and it's, it becomes so beautiful. It becomes a sign for us of the love that Christ had for his church. The sacrament of the love of Christ for his church is given in and through the love that two spouses have for each other. But in the same way, that spousal love is actually only a sign of what each spouse is called to live with Jesus. And in their daily mutual gift of themselves to one another in service and in marital union, they find a call to follow Christ in the same way and even in a deeper way, I dare say, than any spouse could ever fill in their hearts. We discover who we are by love. And so isn't it wonderful to see the, that our Lord calls all disciples to have and to cling to this call at the foundation of everything that they do. A disciple, in other words, can't be someone who imitates Jesus from the outside, speaks of Jesus from the outside, as if we could just join a club called Christianity, do the kind of rituals that Christians do, and somehow expect to make the influence of Christians in the world. It won't work that way. Influence doesn't come from the outside. Out, the outside can dispose to true influence. The outside can help enhance true influence. But true influence is only for, over a human heart can only be really given by other hearts. If you think of in your life, the people that have shaped you the most profoundly, it, it's the people that you encountered who were authentic and true and who spoke truth to you in an authentic way. Right? That type of authenticity, that type of two, true humanity comes from someone who has made the proclamation of truth or the sharing of truth flow from who they really are. And this is why Jesus wants his apostles to choose him as the number one priority in their life, even higher than marriage, even higher than children, even higher than lands, higher than their own blood that they would be asked to shed one day for him. And by so doing, he actually brings them into a, a, a depth of wisdom because now they're able to live out of a love that is greater than themselves. And they find a happiness that can only be consummated in heaven itself. The wisdom of the human person is that we don't live for ourselves. We're called to give ourselves away in a sincere gift. And that sincere gift of ourselves begins when we discover a love that's greater than ourselves, a love that summons everything. And that's the call that's at the basis of all of his discipleship. And that individual relationship that we have with Jesus is so important for us. It's called faith, everybody. And faith is not something that stays on the outside. Faith is something I appropriate with me, within me into the fibers of my being so that every time I say my name, Christ is able to say his through me. I belong to him. Right? That, that's the call. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying that he wants to be the thing that they focus on. The one who points out the way for their life. He wants to be the one to whom they give true obedience of heart because he wants to be the one who loves them the most and who, whom they love the most in the whole world. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because the message of Christ is not just a message that's for this world. 
It is. There should be no happier place on earth than a society that's filled by Christian families, Christian values. The Christian civilization ought to be the penultimate perfection of the universe. It's just that it's not the ultimate perfection. The ultimate perfection, it doesn't belong to this world. As Jesus says in front of Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And yet my kingdom is made known through this world. And so the proclamation of the kingdom, evangelization, takes place through the transformation of this world into an expression of the world to come. And that means the perfection of this world, uh, an advancement that, that, that requires collaboration, teamwork, team building, economy, economic forces, advances in healthcare, scientific invention, all of the things that the lay person does every day in order to survive become actually the gift of God that makes us aware and thirsty for the life to come. The thing to remember is that even though this call is so great, to serve the world, it's not the end goal. And that we who are Christians, we need to bear witness through the foundation of a truth in our hearts that's greater than our actions and greater than our efforts. A relationship with Jesus, a love affair with Christ. He's, his love is bigger than the whole world because his love makes all human actions have meaning. He gives meaning to our lives, a meaning that transcends death, transcends loss, transcends failure. And we who are Christians have grasped that meaning and have allowed that meaning to flood our souls with true light that we then bring into the things of this world, but we actually bring through the things of this world. But without that call and the realization deep inside of I as an individual am responding to my God who made me and to my God who redeemed me and to my God who sanctifies me, that there's a relationship of autonomy there that's as true and as, as individual as my identity. When I grasp that, my influence that I use the world for becomes authentic and my witness becomes true, convincing and life-giving to others. I can, in fact, lead this world because I have been called by Christ to do so. Just as the first apostles had to leave everything behind and make a personal act of faith in Christ Jesus, and just as that faith became the bedrock of their entire life and everything that they did, so too each one of us is called to respond. Jesus wants our hearts, and when we give him our hearts, he makes us his gift in this world and in the life to come. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.